I spent most of my adult life wishing I could save my sister Peg. And my sister Peg really needed saving. But unfortunately, people in, caught up in drug addiction are really hard to save, and I couldn't do it. She had to do that herself. When she got drowning in alcohol, I couldn't save her. She had to do that herself. And I just had to be the little brother wishing and failing to be the hero. When she got in those bad marriages and couldn't make them work, I couldn't save her. You don't just go in and drag somebody out of a bad marriage. See, she liked the guys and the guys liked her. She just wasn't good at the wedding marriage part. She practiced a lot, but she never got good at it. My sister, I couldn't save when she got cancer. We had to rely on the doctors and chemotherapy and radiation, and she got cancer twice. And still, her little brother couldn't save her. My sister and I, like a lot of brothers and sisters, grew up close, and we were a year and a half apart in a family of seven kids. We were so close that uh, when we were in high school, we looked enough alike that people thought we were twins. And it's no fun going through high school being called the Bobsy Twins, but we were. If she was here tonight, you might think the same thing. She'd be tall as me because she'd be wearing three-inch heels, a bright, colorful outfit, a dramatic scarf, bright red lipstick, and by now she would have told me to shut up and let her talk but I was never able to save her. Even later on, when she moved in with my other sister, Amy, and they were doing the Golden Girls thing in their 60s, Peggy had a stroke, and she lost the use of the whole left side of her body. And once again, I was the little brother who couldn't figure out how to save her. You can't save someone from a stroke. It's like this dramatic bolt of lightning that goes through the brain and you lose what you had. Well, with that dramatic move, Peggy had to move into assisted living. So we found a place in Soldatna, the Riverside House, I believe it's called, and we moved Peggy in there. That was the most helpful I could be. But I still felt like helpless to watch her lay there in her bed. But she made a home there. And it wasn't just home in name, it was a home in spirit. She had her grandkids' artwork on the wall and pictures of her grandkids and her kids spread around the room. She had plants that my other sister had brought in. She had her vintage quilts that she loved so much, sometimes three and four deep, covering her to, because she was always cold. And I always would go to visit her. That was my little token thing I could do and take her books to read because she was a voracious reader. But then the cancer came back and the doctors had told her the first time, well, the second time she had cancer, that if the cancer came back, she probably wouldn't live through it. She wouldn't be strong enough and the cancer would win that fight. And of course, I couldn't save her from that cancer. 
And about now, you're probably thinking, where's the sunshine in this story going to come up? It's looking pretty bleak. And it was bleak. It is bleak to watch someone you love slowly fade and to have to prepare for those end-of-life times. But that's what Amy and Peggy and I were doing. We were pre preparing for when she would be gone. And then one day, my sister Amy called. And she said, Dan, they're going to take Peggy to Anchorage to the hospital. They're going to do some more tests. They're thinking about trying some other things. I said, I thought she was dying. You're not supposed to say things like that, but that was the reality. She said, I know, but there's a hope. So we ran to Anchorage to find Peggy in the hospital. And I walked into that hospital room, and as wonderful as hospitals are at saving lives, they're terrible at making people comfortable and at home. They're great places to leave. And I walked into that hospital room, and I saw my sister lying on that bed, thin and weak and frail, sinking into that mattress. And I knew she was in the wrong place. And I knew I'd seen false hope. Because that's what she had been led to, false hope. And when she was laying there in that bed, she wouldn't eat. And she would just cry out and say, bring me the Dean brothers. Bring me the Dean brothers. Please bring me the Dean brothers. And the nurses would say, the Dean brothers? What are you talking about? Nepradine, morphine, codeine, that's what I'm talking about, she'd say. Because that's what she needed, was to be free from the pain. So I looked at my sister Amy and I said, this is wrong. And Amy said, yes, it's wrong. And she turned to Peggy and she said, do you want to stay here or would you like us to take you back to the nursing home? And Peggy said, that would be my choice. And so we told the doctors, no more tests. We're going back to the nursing home and give her what she needs, just the last few days, weeks, whatever she has, in a place of warmth and love. But it doesn't always work that way. The hospital said it'll be three days before we can transport your sister back to Soldatna. Finally, I had my chance. I said, no. I got this. I'll take her to Soldatna. I didn't know quite how I would do it, but by God, I was going to do it. I was going to save my sister. And in an hour, I found an RV dealer that rented uh, camper vans. It was just a white panel van with a mattress in the back. And I rolled that thing up to the hospital door. They brought my sister out and laid her on that mattress. My sister Amy laid down beside her, covered her with blankets, and we took off down the Seward Highway back to Soldatna. And by midnight, we laid her in her own bed, surrounded by people she knew and loved, and covered her with her quilts. Two days later, she passed. And I knew when she did that finally, no, I hadn't saved my sister's life, but I had saved her death. And that meant a lot to me. Thank you.